Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. As you know, we hear it every single week. It is the most important podcast in, in the universe, and not just once this week. This is our second podcast. Earlier on, Evan Silva talked about five running backs Saquon Barkley, Darius Geis, Ronald Jones, Sonny Michelle, and Kalen Balage. And that followed up Matt Waldman's episode from last week. So if you missed either one of those, I beg you, please go and subscribe. Check them out. Plenty of good information, and those are definitely worth listening to throughout draft season. But today, today, my friends, I have for you Sigmund Bloom. Sigmund Bloom is a major factor in football, guys. As you know, he is one of the veteran members of this Twitter community that we know and love. A father figure in some ways to many of us uh, in this business, and I always appreciate the feedback, and the intellect he brings these conversations. So, Sigmund Bloom, how are you, my friend? Excellent. You know, this is a great time of year. I think that all of us in this circle really enjoy this time of year because things get more philosophical. We get more 30,000-foot view. Uh, we get down to the micro on draft players and, and dissecting free agency decisions and coaching changes and things like that. But that in turn reveals the macro of our, our football philosophy. And I think just in the time, Josh, that you and I have worked together and, yeah. and recorded shows together, the, it feels like the NFL is having more of these conversations now, too. It, it does feel I like agree with you. I, a lot of things that we talked about five years ago, six years ago, eight years ago are now in the mainstream conversation about football. And, and that's a wonderful thing. And uh, it, it's just good to have a little spot like, in the sandbox somewhere. And, yeah. And that, that's a great point to make. And by the way, this conversation might go all over the place. We have like an sure. outline of what we're going to talk about. But when Sig and I get on the mics, it's kind of just goes haywire in a good way. Um, but like five years ago, Sig, we didn't even like have all 22 coaches copy for NFL teams, right? Five or six years ago, we were still calling defensive ends, defensive ends and outside linebackers, outside linebackers instead of edge rushers. Um, we didn't, I especially didn't have a clue of, to me, what the importance would be for composite scores, for the importance of athletic testing, how I can fit that since I'm just one person into my evaluations. And on paper, five or six years is a short period of time, but, and even from you, like you have infiltrated my brain in my thought process, like peeking through keyholes and other sayings and ways of looking at football that again, I really appreciate. And like I always say, where there's kind of a conflict or discussion of ideas, that's where the truth lies. And I think there's few that I appreciate doing this with more than you. Or anyone oh, more than you. Well, so. oh well, I appreciate that, but and it's just because it's stimulating for me too. And I think you're right that when we sometimes challenge each other, sometimes collaborate, sometimes just just converse in a breezy way, that's where the ideas really spring forth. And I, I think that 
one of the things that you've added in turn, I'll, I'll turn this back and put the spotlight on the work that you've done about where where he wins. I think the NFL has done an excellent job of starting to recalibrate the draft lens around the idea of where he wins and define players by where they win and not necessarily by comparing them to some archetype or some ideal or have some range or thresholds and where we see this showing up uh, in these conversations uh, about you know this so many players that are tweeners or would have fallen through the cracks we would be comparing him well he's not fast enough and has the deep range to be a safety but he's not big enough to hang in the box and be a linebacker and instead now what we have is an ideal nfl linebacker in the pass happy league yeah and you know the ideas of uh base defenses are going out the window uh, i i forget who it was who put out the idea of positionless football uh but i i think that teams are much more apt to do probably what the patriot been doing all along and saying these are the traits we value these are the skills that are important in the way that we go about winning a game and we're going to look at players through those lenses instead of the classic archetype and check the so quote unquote checking the boxes because only certain boxes should matter to you depending on what team you're part of. And I know some people spit on draft Twitter now, you know, this idea that us on the outside just kind of argue and are the worst parts of of covering football. But again, Sigmund, like I would not be in this position being able to discuss football in the way that I do without interacting with so many of you. Um, And so for that, I am super grateful and super thankful for, because in fact, I don't think you and I have even actually met in person. That just occurred to me. Not yet. Yeah. That's incredible. But I feel like I know so much about you and how you think and, and just how you interpret football and what it means for life and what it means for, and how to, you know, just, analyze exactly what we see, but in a different lens. And I think that's super important. Um, yeah. How about you say, let's do that for a couple of these prospects. Yes, I'd absolutely. Probably, probably want to start with Saquon Barkley. Uh, as I mentioned, talked with Evan Silva quite a bit about Saquon Barkley in last episode. Um, we know that he is very good, right? We know where he wins. And if you want to go through those, you absolutely can. Um, my question to you is this. We see him being pictured and viewed right now as a top five, possibly even by some number one overall prospect, you know, rankings are rankings, but that does not mean he is without flaws. Is it still worthwhile to mention those flaws? Um, And is it possible to not let that kind of mask his entire evaluation as still overly positive? Yeah, I think it's possible to do both those things. I think it's, if you're really engaging in in this game, this task that we do of evaluating these players within Lance, and you mentioned Matt Waldman, you mentioned Evan Silva. I mean, Matt is the Mac daddy of of really uh, setting the tone and, and being the professor of not just evaluating a player and identifying what you see when you watch them in college, but then using that to project what we might see or the range of possibilities of what we will see on Sundays. And I think the negatives are part of that picture in addition to where he wins and where the negatives can be really important is that misfit in an organization where sometimes when we're projecting these players, we're assuming at least 
average, if not optimal usage. And some organizations with Jabril Peppers, like lining off 20 yards off the line of scrimmage, for instance, you know, some of these organizations are going to deploy players in a way that we say, no, that's exactly what you don't do with him. Right. So we need, we need to be able to identify that. And it doesn't always bear out that way. You know, when we heard Evan Ingram's going to be working on his blocking for the giants. I mean, thankfully that wasn't actually uh, something that they focused on, but with Barkley, when you watch him, and some of this is the lens of what you value in running backs, but in a nutshell, you just want to see him relish the clash and the physicality of the one on 11. You know, Marshawn Lynch is probably the player here that yeah. seems to embrace this the best. Like, it's one on 11, and, and he loves it. You know, he looks forward to it. You want to see Barkley embrace that part of the game. Um, and I know some people say, oh, it's because he knew he had a bad offensive line or he's preserving his body for the NFL. I, I don't buy that. I, I think that he is a little more of a finesse runner. You see him retreat. Um, you see him give ground whenever there's a, a clash where he has the strength and and mass to to make the best of it. And instead, he takes the worst of it. Sometimes he gets overwhelmed in, in uh, confrontations, which is just shocking uh considering what he has to wield out there you know sometimes he doesn't just finish his runs we watch you know you watch i know you were just tweeting out john kelly yeah imagine (laughs) if if, if, imagine if if john kelly's spirit was in saquon barkley's body and skill set you know um so you know you want to see barkley do something like just put his head down and push the pile you know or you just see that point where a running back has to uh capitulate and say, well, now I'm surrounded. I'm going to put my head down and get the two or three yards that are there. And he doesn't always do that. He doesn't always press the defense or force the issue. And he wants also to take runs outside. He, yeah. he would prefer to go outside. And I mean, on the other hand, the, now, the can, can, can I ahead. ask you this? Because those are, I wouldn't call either one of those fatal flaws in terms of a prospect, right? As a train goes by, um, those are still flaws that absolutely can pop up in someone's game. I mean, I use the example in a previous episode about Tevin Coleman, right? Like Tevin Coleman has major flaws in his game. He's not a necessarily well-rounded back, but being used in a specific role in a specific situation, he can be dynamite. He can create big plays. And again, I'm not comparing the two necessarily, but I am saying teams, and it kind of goes back to where we started this conversation. Teams, if they are aware of their player well enough, then they will be able to not put him in those situations where he's constantly failing over and over and instead allowing him to use his most positive and sometimes ludicrous traits and allow that team to be pushed further ahead because he can do that and make major plays for a team. Some of this is meeting a player halfway, right? So, you know, if we just look at last year's top 10 running backs, if you're asking running back to do what Jacksonville asked Leonard Fournette to do, maybe Barkley's not even your guy in this class. Yeah. You know, maybe that's, that's Geis or that's, that's Chubb. And if you're asking a running back to do more along the lines of what Christian McCaffrey did, that leads to more success. You know, I like the fit of uh, of Barkley in Indianapolis. I, I, I like the idea of him lining up in the shotgun, you know, reminiscent of Edger and James, you know, like that sounds good to me. If you're putting him behind a fullback and asking him to 
basically demoralize a defense. I don't know. But at the same time, there's also a story here that maybe Saquon Barkley could be the best running back prospect since Bo Jackson or whatever hyperbole you want to use. And I love hyperbole. I'm not using that in a negative way Well, at you all. receive a lot of it over these next few months. Yeah. So, yeah, Well, and I mean, <laughs> I, mean I like to I, – I think it's good when we have picturesque or descriptive conversations about these players and, and comparisons or, or stating the best, best, best case scenario is important. But David Johnson – is a running back. And I think Evan probably would agree with this. I think Evan and I often will, I remember we watched Niall Davis at a time whenever people were really excited about him and said, I don't see it. And David Johnson, if you watched him at Northern Iowa, like much like Barkley did not like contact, did, did not just stick his nose in there and push the pile and initiate the clash and, 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 relish the idea of, of the physical side of the running back position. You know, he was the best receiving running back I had evaluated at any point. And I think probably that's something that's going to be, he, he's going to hold that mantle for a long time. But he, as an inside runner, he didn't look like somebody that really wanted to spend his time in there. And now you saw, and some of it is Bruce Arians, right? That was a good match. And there was that point in David Johnson's first camp where Bruce Arians, because Johnson wasn't getting over his hamstring, you know, they were raising the specter of all kinds of bad things. But I think really sending a message directly, I'm sure, uh, in practices or behind the scenes and through the uh, megaphone of the media saying, like, it's up to you, you know, and, and so I, I do think that there's something with Barkley where the team that that drafts him should want to challenge him and his teammates too to find that part of his game because if that comes online, uh, then the truly I, I I don't know I, his receiving ability his the funny thing is as a pass blocker he's outstanding yeah he, he might be the best pass blocking running back in this class too so in that side of his game he shows the willingness to put on the sword and shield and get after it. It's just the way he runs the ball. And either way, the other layer here, which we could spend hours and hours on, which I'm coming around on, is the positional value part of the conversation, which is why maybe I wouldn't endorse him as a top five or top seven pick, uh, in addition to these you know, these small flaws, depending on how you're going to use him, and because of some of the other names we've talked about. But without a doubt, he is a once every three or five years kind of running back. And I don't think anybody who watches him will dispute that. And and I think he's a one, he's a once in every three to five years heading into the draft. Um, right. Because afterwards we see Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson, types like that have tremendous success. And so when I see that used as a reason potentially not to select a running back in the first round or the top 15, um, I'm... I can't say I agree with it because part of the reason why first rounders are first rounders, top 10 guys are top 10 guys is because they have an easy evaluation, right? Alvin Kamara didn't have an easy evaluation. Kareem Hunt apparently didn't have an easy evaluation. David Johnson didn't have an easy evaluation. If they did, then the redraft would then take them in the first round, right? Saquon Barkley has an easy evaluation, right? Everything there is laid out on the table. Now, I would say 90% of it is positive and maybe 10% we could have issues with. Um, but to me, that that's a major difference in that discussion than what is constantly discussed. Yeah, and he is an easy evaluation, and he is the kind of pick, and this gets into something we've been talking about for a long time, which I'm afraid hasn't evolved in every organization, is this idea of, of picks that you won't lose your job for making, you yeah. know, and, and Barkley's that kind of pick, but you know, before you can say Trent Richardson, because maybe Barkley's going to be a Cleveland Brown still, sometimes things happen. I mean, with Trent Richardson, there was, 
people can claim they saw something on the tape, but he uh, he didn't put the work in. He wasn't putting the work in. And, uh, you know, Aaron Curry was a can't-miss prospect and, and so on and so forth. But, yeah, Barkley's going to be an easy pick to defend. He's not going to fall out of the top seven. Um, but at the same time, there is a shift going on in the running back position, I think, in the NFL. Uh, running back by committees come to fruition where – yeah, it's nice to have a Gurley or an Elliott or a Bell or or somebody that really allows your offense to keep the defense off balance because the personnel doesn't tip the play. But New England, New Orleans obviously come to mind. And yeah, it helps to have that quarterback. But you can you can split the running back work among look what Philadelphia did, you know, two, three, even four in Philadelphia's case sometimes running backs right. and still have an out outstanding, vibrant offense, not predictable. New England not, exactly the same thing. Yeah. I mean, yes. what? I believe I saw Mike Loiko point out that in the past six drafts, the Patriots have only drafted one running back, and it was James White in the fourth round. Like that's that's a very that's incredible specific application. Like a running back that's has a you know only fits into a very small part of your playbook, but is maybe the ideal running back for that part of your playbook. Yeah. And I think that is, and this is another side where I really think Josh, we're headed for a point, and if we keep doing this, maybe in five or ten or fifteen years, that wide receivers and tight ends and running backs are going to blend as a position. Hmm. And again, tweeners, Jalen right? Anyone? <laughs> um, what's that Jalen Samuels anyone yeah Jalen Sam- or Trey Burton yeah. you know or, or or and we've seen these players again I, I like that the NFL is embracing tweeners and and understanding the tactical value that a quote-unquote tweener gives you instead of dinging them for not fitting in, in a, a classic position in terms of the the traits and skills and, and size and things like that that you want so I do think that you know a, a player that can can block and and, and run routes uh a, a player that can run inside and outside um you know we're, we're seeing that that blending going on and because of that it i do understand now why you might not take a running back in the first mm-hmm. round another reason is that your dollars in free agency at running back go farther than just about any position i think we're going to continue to see you know we see uh, the panthers are they may franchise Graham Gano instead of Andrew Norwell, which I don't understand at all. But, I mean, you're seeing running back free agent contracts almost eclipsed now by kickers. Yeah. So if I, and, and cap room is a surplus in the league right now. So if I know that I can stop gap guys, you know, again, just like the Patriots did, I'll throw $3 million at Burkhead. I'll throw $4 million Well, and, I, and I, I still have no idea how Rex Burkhead was a free agent for as long as he's a free agent. But well, then, and we'll he, see. He's back again now. Um, yeah. I, I, I do want to ask you this um i mean there is no one way to to win football though right like as you mentioned we just talked about the eagles and the patriots but then on the opposite end you have the jaguars right who heavily 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 invested in the running back spot i mean to put that into perspective gave chris ivory for in comparison's sake a very large free agent deal Second round pick T.G. Yeldon, then top five selection Leonard Fournette, and then obviously Corey Grant had a role as well. So, but again, the foundation of that team is the defense, and then running the football and controlling it that way. So, even Ezekiel Elliott, right? With how great they knew that offensive line was, they didn't have Dak at the time, and then you draft Ezekiel Elliott, so your team has an identity on offense. So again, it, it goes back to. Um, playing football and being able to win football in different ways. Uh, quickly, well, not quickly. You can go as long as you want on this. Let's pull out a little bit here, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I 
want, I, I'm wondering, cause I, I go through this as well. Is it difficult to talk negatively about a top prospect like Saquon Barkley highlight his deficiencies possibly just in kind of this general sense, this general conversation that's ongoing um, with others responding to you with followers, with readers, with peers, with coworkers, whatever. Um, is that ever difficult for you? No, actually, I think that's one of the most fun parts of this, right? Um, being able to add something to the conversation instead of just uh, create a, an echo chamber effect of what people are already saying. And I, I think that even if it's not necessarily reflected in our final rankings or uh, some sort of value draft round projection or something, one of the things that we really enjoy is that I think it takes a certain kind of person to really want to do this idea, hmm. watching college tape and projecting them and ranking them and thinking about NFL applications. And for the most part, I think with very few exceptions, we really enjoy hearing what happens when a player slanted through someone else's brain and what they saw. And it, it's it's going to be different. We're coming at it with different philosophies. We're coming at it looking for different things. And um, I and I've been very lucky too. I think because I've been you know, Twitter that's coming up on nine years, I think, where I've been able to curate an audience, the people that follow me or the people that like the level that I'm at. And, you know, being, I think being respectful to the players is important, but I also think that this is what we're doing. And, uh, I, I think it's just as fun also to find something positive about someone everyone's being negative about. I would, I, I think that yeah. looking at, so I think that now we're, for instance, on Josh Allen, just to, to make a right turn into Josh Allen, like, there are still some reasons that a team could be excited about drafting him, and there are precedents for a player like him working out to some extent. And then the din of all the negativity has gotten so loud that now that would be somewhat novel. So I think anytime you're going counter to what the prevailing conversation is about a player, it's fun. Let's move on to James Washington out of Oklahoma State, a wide receiver. Obviously, he was at the Senior Bowl as well. I'll keep this question simple sig tell me why he's different than the typical baylor wide receiver that seems to come out every single every single year hmm. i would say it's that the parts of the route tree that he has mastered translate and it's not just the parts of the route tree it's the the skills sometimes preternatural skills that he shows to finish um it's, it's just when you watch him understand how to set up a defensive back to get that inside position on a post, or you watch the way that he is tracking the ball. He, you know, we're, we're talking about year over year kind of stuff. James Washington is among the best you're going to watch tracking the deep ball. It's just so natural. It's mm -hmm. so natural for him. And uh, I think that he has shown that ability to get in between the defender and the ball in flight, um, he's he's just a very he's just a very natural player, and he does show real vertical speed. I don't care what his time speed is going to be; he changes the speed in his routes so that he can create enough separation to to finish with those tremendous skills in the air, the ability to track the ball. So many times, Josh. So many times when you watch James Washington make these plays. Like if we were looking at it, the Winter Olympics are on right now. Like if we're one of the, if you're like a judge on NBC Sports, right? Uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> and it, it, and it's been tremendous. And by the way, the Winter Olympics it's, it continues to be scintillating. Um, 
you, you if you were judging it, you know, style points or or could he have done a something better and when he's making the play on the ball in flight? I don't think so. And so and it's not just harnessing his raw athleticism. It's not just that he's bigger or stronger or faster or can jump higher. It's that he he understands exactly what to do to finish the play. And as long as he has a, a quarterback and an offense, I mean, he's a number two receiver. There there might not be a, a number one receiver in this class when we look back on it four or five years. But I know what James Washington can do. I know how it's going to apply on Sundays. I know how a, what kind of quarterback, what kind of offense will allow him to shine. And I think that the you, Oklahoma receivers also, there's a lot lists are littered with these Oklahoma receivers that didn't work out, the, the big 12 receivers. And I, I think that Washington, it's very easy to see how he applies. Or with some of these other Baylor receivers, uh, the, the, the big 12 receiver, you saw a lot of the raw materials, but you know you might have to rearrange it a little bit for it to work. Uh, you mentioned number one wide receivers, and I want to get into that in just a moment. Um, but I do want to say that I asked you that question because I asked myself that same question before the Senior Bowl. And I probably, you know, didn't have as much interest in James Washington prior to that week in Mobile as I should have. Um, I actually really liked that the coaches, and I forget what team he's on. I think it was the Texans. Um, God, I can't remember. Anyways, um, they used him in the slot quite a bit. And Rich Rebar of Roto World pointed this out, I believe it was yesterday, that teams just aren't using speed in the slot often enough to maximize and take advantage of of defenses and matchups um, he even threw out the Dolphins who obviously constantly have Jarvis Landry in the slot but whenever they use Kenny Stills in the slot they saw plenty of production from him there um, could you see James Washington I'm not saying he's you know your typical underneath jitterbug type slot receiver but do you think that that could have a port that could be a portion of his game moving forward and potentially where he thrives as well it, it certainly, I see the feet on his release. He faces a lot of press coverage, and he he has the feet uh, to take advantage of the way the two way go in the slot would allow him to uh, to create instant lanes. I mean, if he can do it on the outside with the boundary as part of the defender's plan to limit him, then then it opens up even more possibilities. So I, I think it absolutely could work. You know, again, what we may see is this idea that George Matthews comes out and he, he's a quote-unquote big slot because we have a, a certain type that we expect to work in the slot, the, the water bug, um, Jameson Crowder, you know. But that it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that that's really what Rich is getting at, what you're getting at. And depending on how you use that player, a, a lot of different types of wide receivers can work or tight ends or, or you know, a lot of different body types, a lot of different sets of, of athletic ability and, and skills. Um, this comes back to Doug Peterson and the Eagles, right? I mean, just looking at what you have and saying, OK, Nick Foles, what are you comfortable doing? Yeah. Let's, let's have a playbook this week that, that does that. And, and, and basically, but then on the on the on the the lead up side to that is having a filter on your draft board for players that you know have things that you are successful at turning into tactical value on the field. So that, and it all comes back to, you mentioned the, the Jags and, and Leonard Fournette and, and 
the, the Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys. It's all about organizational clarity and commitment. You know, let's all decide and all pull in the same direction and then identify the pieces of the blueprint that are magnified in value because that's our blueprint and then and then focus on that. But everybody has to be agreeing and pulling in the same direction. Referring back to your point about potential number one wide receivers, and this gets brought up a lot, but there aren't 32 of them in the NFL. Teams are still looking for them. And as we've seen recently, Sig, I mean, it's crazy how uh, since that Odell, Mike Evans, Sammy, not Sammy Watkins, was that Sammy Watkins draft? It was. Um, How little first round wide receivers are producing during their first, second, whatever, how many years. Um, What if I told you, and again, the spectrum is large, right? For potential hits, where players succeed, and if their strengths on a very good team that is well coached could be maximized and turn them into, you know, a top 20 player at their position. Um, What if I told you that I think if Cortland Sutton hits, he might be the true number one wide receiver in this class? I think that's fair. Uh, I mean, the traits that he exhibits are the combination that you look for in a number one. I I think there's three. um, And it's funny. It's it's size is important. I mean, Antonio Brown is is showing that it isn't always important. Marvin Harrison showed that, too. But if we're looking for potential number ones, and that's why, you know, someone like Anthony Miller is interesting because I think he's on that Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders axis. I think he's. Mm closer to Emmanuel Sanders, much closer to Emmanuel Sanders than Antonio Brown. And of course, you know, I'm a Steelers uh, honk, like Western Pennsylvania born and bred when I'm thinking of it in those terms. Um, But the point is that putting that aside, um, Cortland Sutton has, he's, he's big, he's thick. um, He naturally will high point the ball and play with power. Um, You see in his breaks, a suddenness that it isn't going to necessarily compare to to Anthony Miller, but it is for his size. Uncommon and, for size. I would call it yeah, uncommon for yeah, size. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he understands, um, especially in, in, at that second, third level, like how to break off his routes and find space really easily. Uh, and he was facing double teams and triple teams a lot. And one of the other things we get into when we're looking at, say, James Washington versus Cortland Sutton is James Washington had a quarterback who knew how to make those throws. They had wonderful chemistry. Uh, whereas... Sutton had a quarterback. Well, there was, let's just say watching wide receivers in this class, there are a few DJ Moore <laughs> um, that you just start to feel sorry for. Michael Gallup. You All know. LSU wide receivers. Oh, right, right. <laughs> well, and it's funny because you say that too about Odell Beckham and, and Jarvis Landry. You remember Zach Mettenberger and all over my notes were like Landry and Beckham can adjust well to poorly thrown balls. But you but you don't even know like what could Cortland Sutton do if he had a quarterback that was more in tune with him. Um there are some things that he's just not going to have because of his body type. I mean, he's not truly like sudden off the line or a, a, a really sharp uh, a route runner, a technician, you know, um, you know, sometimes he can get over aggressive with the, the physicality that he can bring to, to win at the catch point. Um, but, you know, some things with awareness of, of the boundary, uh, awareness of the, the, you know, the side the corner of the end zone when he's running a fade and things like that. And for the most part, I think NFL corners are going to be able to run with him. I don't think they're going to have any problems running with him. And he kind um, of claps at the football. Like you can yeah. tell he's not necessarily natural there. Right. Um, snatching it out of the air. Uh, but he has that, that physical constellation uh, to make it very, very hard to defend him. And he also sometimes can be, 
very elusive and aggressive after the catch. He's just an aggressive-minded guy, yeah. which is what you're looking for in a number one. I'm, I'm not saying this is necessarily the comparison, and this was an even more difficult coming out, but I saw a little bit of Demarius Thomas in his game, and Demarius obviously had plenty to fix in order to work in the NFL. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's... I try to put myself in these decision makers' minds, and it's I can't do it for all of them, right? Because all 32 will have a different mindset of where their current team is and where they want it to go. But what I kind of have this discussion is, like, why would I continue? I'll pitch this to you. Okay, sick. This is how we're going to do it. How often would you feel comfortable, and this is super simplified, taking kind of that middle-of-the-road guy that has a ceiling of a slot or second wide receiver on your team or would you rather try to hit the home run try to pick the high variance player work with him a la Cortland Sutton and he might not necessarily you know be a what you see is what you get type player but he potentially is the one to be the best of the entire group. Does that question make sense? Because yeah, I'm sure that sense. I'm sure that all of these decision makers have that internal battle of, well, should I take a player like Michael Gallup where I know what I'm going to get? Or do I take a player like Cortland Sutton if they're both on the board and really shoot for the stars? No, it absolutely makes sense. And I think that this comes back to what's your organizational philosophy? What do you have? What are the assets that you're trying to leverage to turn into wins, to turn into production? So, uh, and, and, it, and this is one of the really fun parts of the cliffhanger that is the draft is, is trying to put yourself in the shoes of some of these decision makers. And then the beautiful thing is, as I love to say, uh, teams can't lie in the draft. Yeah. You know, when you take the card up to the podium – you're revealing something about maybe there is dissension among the ranks that we're not aware of, but where the rubber meets the road, this this is the player you valued, and then we can start to extrapolate from that. Like it, well, it's such a great point that you make every single year with that. Like it's the only time where we really get the truth of a team each year in terms of what they value, what they want their team to be, what they see them uh, their roster turning into in a few years and i love every single time that you say it each yeah. and every year yeah and, it, and, and and this is one of those kinds of decisions right so in the, in the second round i mean a team a team like a san francisco might be better off going for christian kirk or um anthony miller or, or somebody that's going to be excellent leveraged in a in a timing based offense you know um in an in an offense um you know, the team that signs Kirk Cousins, you know, um, th- this kind of, of wide receiver is going to make more sense. Offensive coordinator and how they're going to set up a passing game. Cortland Sutton might make more sense for um, a Baltimore or or I'm, I'm, I'll be interested to see what direction Chicago goes because yeah. the cupboard is empty. And I think that Mark Mitchell Trubisky might be able to do some really interesting things um with the receiver i mean they were looking for this with kevin white obviously that didn't work out and baltimore was looking for this with brashad perryman and it's great point out so you know do they go back to the well do they do they change you know the steelers i go back to the steelers and i think about how they took jarvis jones that didn't work out you're taking production over measurables you know glass eater over projection and then they go and they take bud to the opposite end of the spectrum whether that quite work out no, no, no. Then they get T.J. Watt, who's like somewhere in between, and maybe that they finally did it. But they kept going back to the well and, and trying to find that balance. And, and 
again, the organizational philosophy, the draft philosophy that shows through. Um, but I think it's going to depend on the quarterback you have, the offense that you have. And, um, you know, there's some of the teams where the cupboard is, is bare, uh, these choices are going to be really, really fascinating because the other, again, and the other, um, thing in the background here is Jarvis Landry just got franchise tagged. Uh, it's very difficult to find wide receiver talent. You know, you pay $32 million for four years. Sometimes you get Kenny Stills. Sometimes you get Kenny Britt, you know? So, I mean, you taking that chance, we saw the wide receivers go very early in the top 10 last year that teams were coveting and that we could see a, a, another bit of an inflationary effect on wide receiver value, even though there's lots of studies that are, you know, wide, we even talked about it, the first round wide receivers, they're yeah. letting us down because of injuries. They aren't necessarily clicking in the roles they've been given. And at the same time, I think teams are feeling more urgency to get the wide receiver that they want. Uh, you mentioned going back to the well. And I wouldn't be surprised if the team that does draft Cortland Sutton, say in round two, they double up later on at the same position, round four, round five, round six, with someone that is more of a what you see is what you get type player. Now, I can't tell you who will be on the board at that time, but to me, that kind of makes sense. Um, and we see it happen often, either at wide receiver, at running back, at plenty of positions, cornerback as well, um, so on and so forth, where teams take a guy early and they also take one late because they've done so much homework uh, at that spot. Uh, Sig, let's close out with this. Who have you watched recently that you really enjoyed viewing? Oh, I can't say enough about Kiki Cutie. Oh, my. Oh, my. And Is that you, how you, you say his name? Cutie, yeah. Kiki Cutie. Kiki Cutie. It's, and it's, it's and it kind of fits. Combine it, week. Yeah, it's like, a, oh, I know. <laughs> it's almost as good as Equinemia St. Brown, who is one of the other potential number ones in this class, although he, he's a, there's so many um, uh, these guys that are puzzling, but he has that, he has a tantalizing combination of length and athleticism that is, is even rarer, I think, than what Sutton presents, although it's, you know, it's in that same level of, of scarcity for, for combinations of, of size, length, and, and, and athleticism. But with with cutie my oh my uh you watch this these guys long enough and you just you see whenever the that's gonna work on sunday that's gonna translate on sunday his burst it's just too much it's just too much for the players to handle and it's not um Tavon austin or the kind of player where there's no not really much of a football application you know he's physical and and tough and rugged enough um he will absolutely, you know, eat up the cushion and I mean, your palms are going to get sweaty if you have to cover this guy. Um, he can track the ball over his shoulder. He can go up and pluck the ball. Um, he's not necessarily ultra elusive, but I mean, he, he's somewhere on that. And these two names are brought up a lot. So this is nothing novel. You know, he's on that Marquise Goodwin, T.Y. Hilton axis. And uh, I'm going to give, of course, credit to Matt Waldman for these axes. If you get get the RSP, I'm, I'm sneaking that in. Um, because, you, you know, you, when you understand the axis the player is on, it gives you an understanding of the roles that might work and, and their, the range of possibilities. But I, I see, you know, Calvin Ridley is going to be an outstanding deep threat. He's the one of the easiest evaluations in this class, in this yeah. wide receiver class. Uh, but I won't be surprised at all if Cutie is making just as many big plays as Ridley and maybe there's more there um, because I, I think that he he's not a master of the route tree yet, but he's shown the quickness, throttle down ability of you know, sinking in, into the hips and and the ability to change speeds and, and set up uh, set up his defender. That is, is exactly the mentality you need to have. And and 
he can run routes out of the backfield too. You know, it doesn't. You don't have to draft a player. I, I, the theoretic or you, a player doesn't have to get carries out of the backfield to for the backfield to be a good place for to use them to run routes out of. If I'm if what I'm saying grammatically makes sense at all, you know. It does. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to be ever see. I think DJ Moore should be running routes out of the backfield too, based on what I've seen from him. So I love the idea of of Kiki Cutie having a little uh, Chris Thompson to him. Although I think that's Naheem Hines in a whole different conversation. Um, I just know that chunk plays, vertical uh, threats, stretching the defense. That's so tactically important. And when you watch Cutie, it just jumps out at you right away. Like that guy, the where he wins is so clear and so important. So, something you said kind of uh, stood out to me and it goes back to like, I get asked sometimes, well, what did you see in Devonte Freeman? What did you see in Malik Jackson, Telvin Smith, yada, yada. Um, and like Sig, it's as simple as just watching sometimes, isn't it? Like these traits that, you know, can translate to Sunday. They just stand out. And I don't know really what another person is seeing and that can kind of be portrayed and used in kind of life standards as well. But I know what I see. And when I see something that I think is impressive, that I think will work on Sundays, sometimes it's just as simple as just watching them and it's just all out there despite other people potentially not seeing them as well. And, the, and what it and what it comes in concert with is that they're dictating the action. You yeah. know, all those guys you just talked about, they dictate. That's why Brandon Marshall. That was the question I, I always got because I was frothing at the mouth about Brandon Marshall back in 2006. And, and obviously, the reason now in hindsight, I was in high was, school. he was at. Yeah, you know, it's fine. I I, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah. no. Uh, but you know, Brandon Marshall handled himself in a way that he dictated. And you see this in Cortland Sutton's game. You know, to go up, and you see this in James Washington's game yeah. too. Where, when 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 they're when the terms are favorable terms for them, they dictate the action. They know what they have to checkmate somebody, and they do it. And and another part of that is. Sometimes you see highly refined skills and traits. This is something – I mean you see highly refined skills that marry themselves to traits and unlock those traits. But as Matt Waldman has done a great job um, – Matt Waldman and I talk a lot about music too. But the idea of music improvisation being like you learn and learn and learn and learn and learn all the fundamentals. But then when you're playing, you forget all of it and you just play. And you see that in these players that we just say that's going to translate. Uh, that they're almost – there's that zen like not thinking when they're doing what they do. And you – you just you know it when you see it. I mean, there's no way to describe a checklist of what things to look for that players that have this. But when they when they have it, it stands out. Roquan Smith, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Like watching Roquan Smith on the defensive side of the ball, he's always getting meaningful instructions from what he sees on the hmm. field, hmm. and that's something that you you either you either got it or you don't. No amount of linebacker coaching or teaching is going to have a let a player be in a space where the game speaks to them and you know when james washington is tracking that deep ball the game is speaking to him um whenever kiki cutie is is getting that extra gear to track that ball down you know the game is speaking when saquon barkley is is running routes you know he's it's it's easy for him and that's another thing i think that we danny amendola comes to mind 
back at the I'm going to tell some stories back at the Texas versus the nation game in 2008. Yeah, it was 2008. Um, watching him in the practices, you could tell that he wasn't running routes in practice to be better than the other receivers there. He was running them against a, a perfect ideal he had in his head of, of it was exactly like precise. And he wanted to do it that way every time. And, and, and the way he ran the route, the way he, the way he went for the ball, like all these things were almost striving for perfection. And you can really see the players. Again, I'll go back to James Washington tracking that deep ball where um, they there's there's nothing left for them to improve on it. Like they, they're doing it in such a way that like that's the standard. And I think that's one of the fun things about doing this, doing what we do, Josh, and something that I'm thinking about as I watch players this time around is almost putting together a list where you would say in the wide receiver class, if you want a player to do this, you pick this player. If you want a player yep. to do this, you pick that, you know, if you want a player to make someone miss after the catch, it would be this player. If I, you want a player I, to- I had a conversation with director of college scouting during the East West shrine practices about this and wrote a piece on Roto world that they transitioned from just evaluating wide receivers as generic wide receivers. And Hey, I like this guy. So let's draft this guy instead, because wide receiver, especially is one of those positions that a wide receiver is not a wide receiver is not a wide receiver. They highlighted specific uh, critical factors in specific roles in the offense and uh, selected players based on that. And that team has really changed the scope of their wide receiver group in just the last few years. So what you're saying to me is right on track. Yeah, it's 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 fun. And that and again, that's why the draft is great because there's this micro stuff of evaluating the players and seeing where they land and what order they go off the board. But then it, it in this process is almost any kind of philosophical team building or what's important on the football field conversation you could want and the the community is stocked with so many intelligent people coming from so many different perspectives and it will makes it just as fun as it always has been. Sig, uh, thanks so much for sitting with me through the trains, through the mm. sirens. Um, I was expecting this to be 30 minutes and it's gone over 40, but I would not have it any other way. Um, people can find you on Twitter. I believe it's just at Sigmund Bloom. Um, people can check out your podcast, which is just correct me if I'm wrong on the couch. Mm. Um, and again, if you enjoyed at any point this episode, be sure to subscribe. Sigma, you're the best. Thanks so much. And to all of you out there, we'll talk to you all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 